Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from experienced medical device and med tech experts through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hello, everyone. It's Scott Nelson, and welcome to another edition of MedSider, the place where I interview experienced and proven med tech uh, and medical device thought leaders about today's program. We've got Don Crawford, who is the president and CEO of Analytics for Life, a medical information technology company that uses advanced signal processing techniques for the purposes of assessing and diagnosing disease. We're certainly going get to in, get into that in more detail. Uh, but prior to his role with, uh, with Analytics for Life, Don was president and CEO of Safion, which was acquired by Covidian in 2014. And before Safion, Don held various leadership positions with Guidant, Medtronic, DVI, uh, and WebMD. He received a Bachelor of Chemical Engineering uh, from Georgia Tech and an MBA from Emory University. So without further ado, welcome to the call, Don. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Scott. All right, so let's uh, let's start with Safion first, uh, and I definitely hinted at what you're doing with Analytics for Life, and we'll, we'll certainly uh, get into that in more detail. But let's start with Safion first, because uh, as I mentioned, Covidian acquired your company uh, in 2014 for reported, I think, close to 240 million dollars. I believe is was was close to the number anyway, or at least that's that's been, that's what that's what's uh, sort of in the, in the public domain. Um, but it, I mean, what a fantastic win for you and your company, and in my opinion, maybe maybe one of the one of one of the more unheralded stories within uh, within med tech. Um, so w- when you finally got that deal done after spending you know almost six years uh, with Safion, uh, do you recall how you and your team uh, celebrated that win? Yeah, you know, we were um, uh, really going through a process the last six months of uh, diligence with working. Uh, uh, working towards a uh, a final uh, deal and um, uh, uh, transition with uh, Covidian, and I remember that um, in the last uh, month before the uh, deal was finally done, or actually I think that we had even signed the agreement, but we were still uh, waiting for the uh, final uh, voter. Uh, the final uh, shareholder vote, which was took about 30 days, uh, we did a um, third quarter management um, uh, meeting, and we took the uh, whole management team, which at that point was based out of uh, Morrisville, uh, North Carolina, and we took them all back to Sonoma County, where the company originally got started in Santa Rosa. And we had a um, a team meeting, a manager's meeting, which we do on a regular quarterly basis. But we uh, did something special, and we invited uh, for a, a dinner meeting anyone who had ever had anything to do with Safion consultants, past employees, etc. And we did uh, more or less a celebration di- dinner at the uh, Fairmont in Sonoma. And... Uh, we probably had 50 or 75 people attend, and it was really a great celebration for the weekend. And, and even my teammates today that are, are now scattered, they, they always uh, uh, mention that weekend um, when we, when we uh, revisit. Uh, that's, a, yeah, that's a great story. I wonder how many other uh, uh, med tech companies um, you know, celebrate, uh, celebrate like that. But that's, uh, that, that's cool. And, and I, I definitely want to dig into, into the, the Safion story because – it seems like from the out, you know, from a, from an outsider's perspective, um, you guys did some amazing things in, in a relatively uh, short amount of time. I know, I know that that's somewhat, uh, somewhat, um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's an opinion, but it seems like you guys got a, a lot done on a light budget 
uh, and uh, and I think is a fantastic success story. But when you think about you know your, your, the course of, of those you know five and a half six years you know from uh, from when you joined Safion to uh, to sort of the uh, the initial acquisition by Cavidian, uh, what was Cavidian at the time before the Medtronic uh, Medtronic deal, uh, are, are there maybe one or two things that really stand out uh, over the course of that time? Yes, um, you know, being it, it really was unique in that you've heard stories before of uh, people meeting and writing something on the back of a napkin and it becoming uh, an idea or a patent. And in, in reality, um, the co-founder, Dr. Rod Raby, who really had the original clinical idea to um, use a tool to glue a leg vein together. That was, you know, the original idea came from Dr. Raby, and I remember meeting him for the first time in a, in a hotel in his hometown, and uh, we had dinner, and on the back of the placemat at the dinner, he wrote out some drawings and wrote out kind of a, a thought process of what, uh, uh, what he thought this idea could do, and um, we took that from the back of a napkin to um, the three clinical trials, uh, uh, launching a, a global operation and uh, ultimately doing a PMA trial, very successful PMA trial, and then exit of the company from start to finish with the two co-founders involved. So I think that that, that in itself is a very, very unique story. Uh, without without a doubt, and I, I fortunately I've been able to meet uh, some of, some of that uh, some of those members of the team, Doctor uh, Doctor Raby included, as well as you know guys like Monty Madsen and Gary McCord, and you had a fantastic team, uh, really really good people, uh, and very cool story. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. It really honestly kind of went. It sounds like kind of went from uh, from from napkin idea to uh, you know to uh, to successful successful exit. But when you when you're sitting down with with Dr. Raby at that table, I'm not sure if you remember this or not. But when you when you first when he first kind of presented presented that idea to you, what were your initial thoughts? Well, I mean, initially, um, I took it on as a consultant. I was just doing uh, you know the very basic thing that um, I would do in uh, the corporate medical world. You know, you come up with a new idea, and the first thing you do, you know, you learn at MBA school or business school or if you're out there uh, running your own business, you you come up with an idea and you guys just lay out a business plan. Does it make sense? Um, first, you know, is there a need? Well, the market was huge. 25% of the world's population had uh, venous disease. So, boom, that's an early check mark. Huge market. Um, the unmet needs. Um, you know, the the technology that was being um, uh, used was not something that from a from a layperson's eye at least you know just not being an expert in the field it just did not it looked like there was a lot of room for improvement over vein stripping the surgical method and the um ablation methods that uh, have a lot of um of uh, side effects and uh, negative downside to it so we saw an unmet need that uh, could be uh, solved with this great idea and then I looked at the economics. Um, you know, first and foremost, there were a lot of, um, uh, of companies that were uh, interested in the arena, but really, no, none of at the time that we first looked, uh, none of the companies were owned by major giant corporations. They were really mid-sized companies like uh, Angio Dynamics, and at that time. Um, 
the uh, ablation company as well. I, I, it, so far back now, I can't even remember them pre-Covidian. <laughs> Um, Venus, but, uh, Venus, yes, yes, Venus. So um, the fact that uh, it really were was a, a, a the competition was still kind of uh, young, uh, you know, new ideas and in, in younger companies. I thought that a, a company like ours or a startup company definitely had a uh, a, a place to or a way to enter the marketplace. And then we just looked at uh, the basics. You know, is this something that could be manufactured? you know, in a low-cost way, and did we see that there's an established market that pays a, um, a, a, a reimbursement that would fit, and boom, you know, you go through five or six uh, lists, and everyone hit the check mark box and say, well, this is a great idea to pursue. And how many? I'm, I'm, I want to get into you know some more some more details because you you make it sound very easy, and I'm I'm sure it it, it wasn't that way. Um, but but you have you know an incredibly successful you know story to, to tell uh, with with respect to Safion. Um, but how many how many ideas do you come across where you're doing your initial diligence that that don't that don't check all those boxes? Well, you know. It, um... There are a lot of ideas out there, but um, yeah, a, a lot of ideas are un, either the market is unknown. I mean, sometimes you're so innovative and so new that you're really ahead of the market. Um, but you know, luckily we were looking at something that really you know had a, an established market. So you know, if you look at the economics of it, you know, and that's usually where I go first. Is uh, is it? Is it being used and is it being reimbursed? And if those boxes are checked, well, you know, you could almost fit anything into those two. But without the reimbursement or established market, then, you know, you're really fighting a 10-year battle, not uh, a short battle to get a device approved. Yeah, that's, that, so that's are, one of the key things that I look at. Yeah, those are two two really good points. And so, so let's dive into some of the details. Uh, and I, I, you, you mentioned that you, got, you guys, um, you, know, went, you know, obtained a CE mark. Uh, you know, th this this wasn't a just a five ten k device. It was a PMA, PMA device, and you were able to navigate those those choppy waters. Which I certainly want to ask you a few questions about that, because um, that's certainly no easy task. But let's talk about the funding, because you know, from what I you know, based on my research, it looked like you'd raised around thirty million dollars total, or so, something like that, across. Uh, it looked like maybe your latest round was a B round. I'm not entirely sure if that's correct, but. I guess from a macro perspective, and and again, this is this is my opinion, but it, it seems like you guys were really savvy uh, with the way you approached funding the company, and and really, like I said earlier, getting a lot done in in not not a long period of time. I mean, the CE Mark, the PMA device, you commercialized in Europe. We're getting ready, you know, to probably commercialize in you in, in the U.S. before the acquisition with Covidian. You know, so so I mean, were there were there things that you thought about going into you know going into uh, you know the the, the the funding um the you know the funding rounds that allowed you to be um you know that that savvy uh, maybe maybe talk to us a little bit about that yeah so um you know i wish i could say that uh i was uh, incredibly innovative and brilliant and uh <laughs> that we have established this new uh, private funding model because uh, you know i had a vision but in reality uh, we started the company at the worst time in the history of starting medical device companies. It was in the middle of the um, the financial crisis, 2008, uh, recovery in 2009, and uh, anyone who lived through those days recognized that any sort of traditional venture capital funding, um, and uh, medical especially, 
were was just not available. Um, so there was no institutional money that you uh, could count on in early stage. Of course, you've heard the stories. You're either too early, you know, or you're too late, or you know, the, the, every excuse you can imagine from the institutional VC investors about why they wouldn't look at Safion. And, and we did talk with um, some. Uh, you know, mainstream, well-known firms, people that we we actually knew through our career between Rod and myself, and um, the uh, the need to go to private equity investors, uh, private um, uh, some people would call them angels. I just call them uh, accredited investors. Uh, we started that pathway. You know, we you've heard of the famous uh, friends, families, and fools, and um, <laughs> at the time that was the we would go. You know, a month by month, and we were out raising. We established a Series A, preferred Series A um, price and equity, and uh, we offered it. Uh, of which, uh, Rod and I were like uh, the first. I mean, we were the biggest shareholders, almost the only shareholders for the first six months. But uh, that was the way that uh, Rod and I funded the company, and part of it was investing in Series A ourselves. Um, at the end, management had uh, more than 10% of the invested funds that were um, invested in the uh, the total investment, which turned out to be um, right at $38 million total investment from start to finish. And we had uh, almost 10% of that was management's money. So that, you know, that is a, a something you look for when you're out looking for private investments. If the managers are in, investing um, into their own company, that's usually a pretty good sign. Got it. That, that's uh, that's such a unique yeah, unique story. And I, I love the fact how you kind of set the set the stage there. And and uh, and I, I didn't even think about it when I was doing some you know some research for this conversation. Is that that was a, a really incredible, a, a really difficult time uh, in terms of uh, trying to trying to raise money back in 2008 and 2009. So easy to forget now, but really not that long ago. Um, so, so, so let's let with regard to raising private money. I'm, I'm curious, how did you balance? I mean, it seems like that would be fairly time intensive versus you know the the traditional path of having you know uh, you know your Series A led by one of the well known you know VC firms. Uh, instead, you you raised it through sort of a network uh, of, of private investors, as you as you call them. How, how did you balance you know spending time you know with the necessary day to day tasks of running running the business versus you know what? What would seem like you know a fairly time-intensive you know uh, fundraising you know uh, you know with a with a multitude of different angel investors or private investors. Well, uh, you know, I mean, the balance is what it was. It was uh, a, um, a total immersion. So this is what uh, my job was: twenty-four hours a day. And uh, you know, even at the very beginning, we had a team of people. You know, Rod and I were co-founders. We were both involved at the beginning, so we had a network of uh, people, network of uh, of successful people, and uh, everyone that we brought into the organization, you had mentioned uh, uh, Gary McCord and um, uh, several others, but you know everyone who is uh, became Bonte uh, became involved with the company. You know we all recognized that um, uh, fundraising is uh, is the the kind of the, the core of the company, and so without that you can't do the other things. But um, uh, we really worked as a team, and and really the the corporate structure was set up to where um, we had objectives and goals. Financing was always a part of it, and uh, everyone was involved in um, being successful at uh, financing. 
Got it. Um, that's a, that's a, sort of the, using the analogy of kind of every, everyone's job is to is to sell something, especially early on in a company. I, I like your uh, I like the way you're, uh, you you know you kind of thought about that in, in the sense that everyone everyone at that stage at that stage in the life of Sapion was was sort of responsible for trying to trying to generate some interest in the in the company from an investment standpoint. Very good. I, I want to get into to um, to some of the. Uh, you know the, uh, the the how you went about you know establishing the, the clinical trials and and and, uh, and 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 moving throughout the regulatory processes as fast as you did. But before we before we end kind of the, the topic on on fundraising, um, do you think that's a path uh, in your opinion that more early stage device companies should pursue? You know versus uh, versus you know going the the traditional route of uh, of trying to connect with well known venture capitals, but instead maybe maybe uh, pursuing you know, uh, uh, you know, a syndicate of, of different private investors or, or angel investors. Yeah, no, I think that uh, we've seen uh, more, much more of that uh, occur in the um, last uh, three years. I would say that I've been watching the um, uh, kind of watching the industry that this uh, became. Even in 2012 or so, 11 and 12, that became uh, started to resonate, and I know that a number of companies have uh, completed their Series A and, and some into Series B along those same um, uh, along those same lines. So um, uh, I think that now, although it still is, um, you know, it's a it's fraught with a lot of uh, twists and turns, um, but you know you, you, uh, it can be done, and and it can you know we I think there's enough uh, history now to show that uh, that is a, a method to to use as a um, as a funding plan and a funding source. But uh, you know you got to be well connected and and understand the nuances of how corporate organizations work you know it really comes down to even setting out the uh, first corporate structure having the right legal counsel for um, uh, for setting up your documents your uh, funding documents are critical the structure is critical ultimately when you get towards the end or get into later rounds uh, you'll understand that um, you know the structure that you started with uh, you know dictates a lot of things so you have to put a lot of uh, thought and uh, preparation in uh, in that um, uh, you know in the plan uh, or let's just say the corporate uh, organization the the organizing documents and such and uh, that is uh, you know just comes with the territory, so to speak. Sure. It's different than if a VC throws uh, some term sheets up. They're the ones who want to have uh, you know, the corporate documents their way. But if you're uh, funding it privately, then really it is the management team that uh, sets the tone, sets the, uh, the um, um, st- structure, and it, you know, it has to be something that is um, attractive to an investor because ultimately your investors, you know, are planning on making a multiple uh, return on their investment. Yep, yep. So, so you know, I guess, I guess, in summary, the uh, the onus is on you know when you when you when you choose the the path that you guys uh, you guys went down, the onus is uh, is definitely more on you uh, in order to you know from a from a, a term sheet perspective as well Govern- as uh, governance, you know, yeah, corporate yeah. governance standpoint. Yep, yep. Good lesson. To, good lesson to learn. Well, let, let's shift to. Uh, um, to, to sort of the, the clinical work and the uh, and, and the regulatory pathways that you pursued, and let's start maybe on the on the regulatory fashion. There's a lot of, I think most people in med tech would agree that the uh, you know the FDA is is you know maybe, maybe 
you know, difficult to work with at, at, at times, the, uh, you know, the regulatory pathway, even, even now with the 510K, you know, the, 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 the clinical, you know, burden is, uh, is a lot heavier than, than it maybe it used to be. Um, um, but you were, like I said before, you were, you guys were able to accomplish, uh, you know, a, a PMA and just shortly after the acquisition, uh, with, with Covidian. So, you know, maybe, maybe help us or give us a little insight into how your team was able to accomplish so much, you know, in, in a short period of time with, with not, you know, a lot of money. Well, it it, um, it it came with the recognition for the very beginning that um, uh, from myself, I I had worked uh, 25 years in the implantable device arena, and uh, you know when you're involved in the implantable device arena, cardiovascular devices, that um, you know you learn regulatory and compliance and uh, I've lived through uh, scores of uh, product recalls so you understand through uh, you know through the knocks of hard life uh, what a regulated industry is you know requires and uh, so the very beginning I recognized that what we were doing at Safion was an implantable device we're putting something permanently into the body and that we needed to treat it from the very beginning with that sort of discipline, really. And um, it started from our employee number one. Our employee number one was a PhD research scientist. Luckily, he had spent a lot of time at Medtronic, so he understood what uh, doing R&D under a, uh, under a, a process was um, all about. And then um, we hired our number two employee two weeks later, which was a... Uh, a brand new engineer right out of uh, Polytech who was our quality engineer. She had done some um, uh, summer intern work and worked in the quality department and we hired her from the very first uh, start of the company to document everything this PhD scientist did because we, we kind of know that PhD scientists are not the best documenters. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, we just took a discipline that we're an implantable device company from day one we documented everything, um, and uh, as we went through our uh, company process, it is that discipline and documentation that allowed us to even in the PMA implant three and a half, or PMA application three and a half years later, some of the work we did in our very first months of the company was so well documented that they were accepted as part of the PMA application. So, you know, I've told people that you do everything under a quality system, you do it right the first time or else you're going to spend a lot more money doing it over again. Hmm. That's, a, that's a good lesson to learn, that early documentation. It's not something to be, to be quite candid. I, I wouldn't have expected that to be your answer, but it makes a lot of sense now that you, uh, now that you explain it. And when it, come, when it comes to the actual PMA, I mean, that seems, you know, maybe not for you since a lot, you know, you've got a lot of experience. I mentioned earlier when I, when I kind of provided some insight into your background that you spent a lot of time at Guidant and in the implantable uh, device, uh, device arena so you kind of understand the, the regulatory burden. But to a lot of people, you know, obtaining a PMA, especially for an early stage company, seems like a daunting task. But uh, I'm not sure. I don't have the exact timeline in front of me, but you guys were able to obtain that PMA, you know, in, in a extremely short fashion was there anything be, i mean besides the the well documented uh, um sort of history uh, uh or throughout safion is there anything else that you can kind of pinpoint, pinpoint that led to uh you know such, such quick regulatory uh timelines 
Well, um, uh, we did. Okay, so we did have a quality management system from the beginning, which uh, helped with the product development portion. But we also had that same process was in place for the earliest of the early animal work. And uh, Dr. Raby and Monty, who you had met, were you know the more or less our founders were doing the animal work themselves in a university lab that was not GLP, um, but we conducted the study GLP-like and we kept great records of each and every animal implant. So that is what, you know, the we went through, oh, I think there were 4,000 days of animal implants. So we went through 100 animal implant um, that we were able to do ourselves at a university setting that was relatively cheap because it was not GLP. But later in life, um, the only reason that we were able to use that data is because we took the burden ourselves to document it properly. And then that became part of the record. And uh, as we went into the clinical trial work with humans, we worked with top-notch investigators. Um, we started off with a, a group of U.S. Uh, physicians that, were, that had a research center in the Dominican Republic um, as well, they do research as well as they do offshore teaching of uh, new medical technologies or techniques. And we were able to team up with uh, this group of U.S. physicians and do our uh, first-in-man work after a, a very exhaustive uh, benchtop and animal work. Uh, we were able to do that quickly, like in one day. We did eight patients, and then later on the second part, we did 30 patients in two days. That's almost, uh, you know, unheard of in in U.S. clinical practice. So those are the sort of things that made it quick, and those were the sort of things that um, we were able to do offshore at a, at a lower price point than what you would uh, do in in U.S. Um, uh, clinical trial. This is our, mm -hmm. our pilot work. And, and do you attribute? Um some of that, I mean, in, in terms of being able to execute so quickly, especially when it comes to the clinical trial work, do you attribute that to just being, you know, really well organized and working with the right physician partners, or is it does it more have to do with the, you know, the the the, the disease state and the therapy that you're that you're treating for, and and it's relatively easy to, uh, you know, to find patients with that with that disease. Well, I think that first and foremost, that the fact is, is that 25% of the world's population has the disease. So it's really, you know, there are just a ton of patients that um, uh, need treatment. And um, we don't even come close to um, um, even scratching the surface of getting all the patients who, who need to be treated today. So that makes it really easy. Secondly, from a invasive PMA type class three product, uh, putting something in a vein, you know, a diseased vein is really pretty low on the totem pole compared to like a, you know, TAVR valve or something like that or some sort of a neuro implant. So, so we were a pretty low risk. And then you, we could not discount the fact that uh, our two founders did all of the animal work, close, worked closely with the engineers, but they did the clinical part of the animal work, 100 animals, so they got the techniques mm. down. And, and they were able, through their 
uh, you know, skill level to transfer that knowledge to the, cl the the actual physicians who did then the human work. They never did any human work themselves, um, but we were able to transfer that to the the vascular surgeons who uh, and the clinicians who would do our clinical trials. There was such a a good ability to communicate between our founders and the customers that 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 led to um, easier clinical work and the fact that we. Uh, knew the patient population that we were dealing with, and uh, with Monty and Rod Raby's uh, background, we were able to you know, really focus in on the right uh, uh, patient populations, which is the key to all uh, clinical trials and uh, regulatory submissions, is making sure that you're working on the right group to start with. Yeah, that, that that's uh, that, those are some really really good points. So uh, thanks for kind of outlining that, Don. I, I I didn't, especially in regards to the fact, you know, your 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 the point you mentioned about, um, you know, the the early animal work that you know that 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 Dr. Uh, Raby and, and and Monty, you know, sort of led themselves. And because it, I mean, it sounds like you know, listening to hear you listening to you explain the story that because, uh, you know, because Rod and Monty were so involved in the animal work. That really, and, and the fact that they had a lot of domain expertise, that really translated well, you know, uh, at, at a later stage once you got into the, uh, you know, the clinical trial work as well as the uh, the regulatory submissions. Exactly, and yeah. uh, you know, we we knew where the where some of the road, uh, some of the bumps in the road, we were able to anticipate them and uh, you know, write them uh, in such a way through the protocol that we 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 were able, you know, we didn't. We didn't see some of the bumps that a lot of people would uh, do if you didn't have that level of experience. Got it. Got it. Makes uh, makes a ton of sense. So I want to transition to to kind of what you're what you're doing now with with, uh, with analytics uh, for life because it, it's uh, I, I don't know a lot about what uh, you know your your new venture. Uh, I, I do you know based on some research I did. It looks like you brought a lot of your uh, your team from uh, your team from Safion to, to to kind of this this newer company. So. Um, before we, you know, I, I guess as a transition from Safion to Analytics for Life, maybe give us a kind of an overview of what you're doing, and then you know some of the th some of the, the the best practices or the key learnings that you uh, that you experienced from your you know your your great success story with Safion and, and what that you know what you're doing with that or how how that's translating into your new uh, your new company uh, Analytics for Life. Yeah, so um, Analytics for Life is a, a, a information technology first and foremost. So it's different than the a typical single-use medical device product that uh, people are probably more familiar with, at least historically for the last 20 or 30 years. That has been the uh, device industry. But really, there, what we're doing is a single, you know, they call it a, a SaaS-type uh, model, but we're, we're really... Uh, using information technology to uh, look at biological signals or biological uh, information that's coming from the patient and we're able to assess and diagnose disease and essentially send that information in a, um, a clinically relevant report back to the physician. So it is more on a per test basis as opposed to single-use medical device, uh, but the information and the uh, the 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 real product is the um, the information that we are gathering and um, um, processing the information and, and using big data data sets to compare uh, new patients' uh, signals to old patients' signals that we know what the outcome was and we're able to predict the outcome of the uh, current patient. So it's it's a different type of technology than 
um, you know, catheters and uh, wires that may be uh, similar to Safion and many of the other devices, but the discipline is the same. It still are, they're considered medical devices, so the instrument that retrieves the data is a medical device. The cloud storage facility where the information is saved is considered a medical device. The algorithm that analyzes the data that you've retrieved and stored is a separate medical device. And actually the report, the clinical report that goes back to the physician through the cloud and into a physician portal is considered a medical device. So those four uh, pieces are separate medical devices that make up the system that allows physicians and patients to uh, get treated faster, uh, safer, quicker, and cheaper. Got it. Um, uh, the nuts, nuts and uh, bolts of it. And and are you are you producing you know, throughout that sort of supply chain? I guess, for lack of a better description, or, or those those different pillars that you just uh, that you just outlined. Are you are you uh, owning each part of that. So, as an example, you obviously have the. Uh, uh, you, you, it's a, you mentioned it's, it's kind of a SaaS player, a software as a service play, uh, and you own the data and are producing a clinical report. But are you, like, as an example, are you are you producing the device to collect the the information from the patient as well? You know, again, we used, uh, as you mentioned, we did uh, bring in, uh, we brought on uh, uh, some team members from our uh, Safion Days experience. So uh, we did bring on uh, Greg Davis, who runs a, an organization called Medcelerate that uh, you know, one of Greg's uh, key roles in Safion was outsourcing our supply chain. And we really, everything that Safion um, created, or let's say 95% of everything Safion created was done via um, a contract manufacturer where we would design the process. We would manage the process very closely, but we actually use um, out, uh, outsource our manufacturing capabilities. So we're doing the same thing with Analytics for Life. Uh, the device itself, we have designed and tested the device, but ultimately the manufacturer, the assembly is done by a, a third-party contract manufacturer, but uh, you know one that has worked works for multiple big, uh, manu uh, big uh, medical device companies. But all we do is manage the uh, the, the quality process of sure. that. And the same thing with the cloud, so that we we are designing the cloud data, we are um, designing the processes that are used, and we, we manage the process, but um, we use a, a big, um, uh, you know, established companies that are, are cloud-based, for instance. Uh, you know, we use IBM to transfer our data to the cloud and, and um, IBM equipment to uh, transfer the data in the cloud to the um, a patient. We use, um, uh, you know, cloud-based uh, um, algorithms. All of it is, is done by people like Apple Corporation is involved with uh, part of our uh, device offering. Um, Amazon was one of our early um, uh, cloud transfers, but uh, more and more we're looking at IBM to being the kind of the gold standard, the uh, the trusted name in the business that we're consolidating our um, 
our uh, electronic or cloud work with, and then sure. the um, instrument is uh, with a third-party manufacturer that ultimately we might outsource to uh, Costa Rica or Ireland as we start building into the hundreds of thousands, but uh, uh, now it's done at a, at a smaller firm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and that seems like, uh, I, I kind of want to ask you what's what's next for, you know, um, analytics for life and kind of where, where you're at and, you know, where, where you're headed. But uh, before before we get into that, it seems like that that would be a, a pretty big step. You know, you, you your most of your experience is, you know, is, is in the, you know, the traditional device space, you know, where you've got a, you know, a hardware based product that's either implanted or, or used on a patient. Not to say that this, you know, what you're doing is not used on a patient per se, but it seems like you're you're making a pretty big leap. So how how have you sort of overcome that, you know, you know, mentally, um, you know, to kind of you know make this, you know, what what it seems like a pretty significant transition from you know your your you know your work with Safion as an example to now what you're doing with with the analytics for life. Well, you know the. Um... Uh, the products, again, recognize I did list four different medical device products. Now, even though they are IT manipulated and, and IT delivered, uh, being that they are separate devices, from a regulatory and a quality standpoint, you're managing those exactly the same way you would uh, any other device. So I do believe the process, the system, the organization, that made Safion successful is also leading to an incredibly organized and uh, streamlined uh, process with analytics for life. Uh, from an um, a, um, expert uh, technology standpoint, you know, we did have our legacy team of scientists, PhD scientists, and, uh, um, and uh, engineers, uh, computer data engineers that are uh, still with the company, but now they're following uh, very strict and very uh, regulated processes uh, because in addition to the normal uh, safety and efficacy concerns, you've also got uh, HIPAA requirements and a lot more of, uh, of the challenges that come with um, uh, intellectual technology, or let's say information technology and cloud-based um, uh, technologies. But as we recruited some very top-notch uh, uh, people along the way with Safion, um, we, we are doing the same things with Analytics for Life. We uh, did bring in our VP of Quality and Regulatory, and we brought in our VP of um, Manufacturing and uh, Business Development. But we recruited our um, vice president of technology, who is expert uh, in um, cloud-based uh, medical device uh, delivery, and uh, we hired this person out of the uh, Bay Area, and uh, he relocated to the Research Triangle, where we're headquartered in the U.S. We actually have a Toronto-based technology team and a U.S.-based operational team. And um, we continue to add uh, top-notch people, and that's the key to, um, uh, to to transitioning, I guess, the technology bridge at, per se. Sure. As far as I'm seeing it, I'm managing it. I think the same way. You're managing people to uh, do great things, and uh, and we do it right the first time, and to follow a very uh, regimented process. Got it, and uh, and I, I'm gonna, you know, uh, I'm I'm over over some summarizing or making it maybe, maybe sound a, a lot more simple than it was. But from what I from what I 
I guess maybe my big takeaways there and listening to you explain kind of how you made that that transition or, you know, bridge the technology, uh, you know, cross the technology bridge, as you put it, is is being able to apply the same sort of processes and being diligent about about, you know, establishing systems and processes and also, you know, just, just you know, hiring and, and gathering the, you know, the, the, the appropriate team around you to be able to execute on uh, on, on the vision. So uh, great, great stuff. So. Before we kind of conclude uh, conclude the uh, the interview here, Don, what what's uh, what's next for Analytics for Life? Where are you guys at now, and, and kind of what what do you what do you plan for the uh, immediate future? Well, we have uh, um, completed our uh, really our platform instrument, which is the the uh, signal collection device, and we are right now focusing on cardiac signals. When I say right now, that's uh, what we will focus on at least for the uh, greater part of 2016. We also have the ability to look at other disease states, but right now what's hot is cor coronary artery disease detection, diagnosis, and um, uh, uh, you know, treatment, uh, guiding treatment for uh, coronary artery disease is really what's hot for us. and. Uh, we did recruit um, a chief medical officer uh, last quarter, and again, hiring the right people, we hired an electrophysiologist who spent the last three and a half years uh, as a medical reviewer for the FDA to come in and manage our clinical program. So uh, obviously we are going to uh, begin our clinical trial with a well-thought-out protocols, and uh, we do expect to uh, really do our first uh, human clinical work uh, with our new device or with our you know, proprietary device, I would say, in the uh, spring, you know, second quarter, uh, May time frame or so. Um, and we will uh, uh, collect, I don't know, three to 500 patients. Uh, machine learning uh, really, uh, I can't tell you, it's not at this point a um, statistical number per se, but once you gather enough patients in your database, you can create the algorithms that um, allow you to uh, predict uh, what the next patient is going to do. And we believe that number is three to 500 patients, and that's what we plan to do over the, the course of the summer. And uh, into the fall, we'll be prepared to discuss uh, our results with the FDA. Uh, very cool. Sounds uh, sounds really uh, really interesting. I mean, this concept of you know kind of the the the, uh, the wearable uh, wearable health, wearable you know wearables within within medtech and being being able to collect the data and deliver a you know deliver a result is certainly a certainly a hot uh, a hot space right now. So um, wish you wish you nothing nothing but the best with uh, with analytics for life and and and, and, and you know based on based on your uh, your fantastic success story with with Safian, I feel. Uh, feel pretty optimistic about what you guys are going to be able to accomplish. So, uh, so very cool. So, so last three questions for you, Donna, and kind of, kind of bullet point sort of questions, uh, a little bit more personal in nature, but it's a, I, I like, it's kind of my, one of my more favorite parts of these, these types of conversations. Cause, uh, uh, it, it's outside of, it's outside of business, but, but somewhat related. Um, so first question, what's your, uh, what's your favorite nonfiction, uh, business book? You know, I have to say that I am so engrossed in the day-to-day, -day and I read so much on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I'm not a bookworm. Um, I guess that comes with my engineering background. <laughs> uh, no, no, no problem. I, I, I completely relate. In, in fact, I've listened to um, a fair number of interviews recently with uh, with really uh, 
you know, people that I, I, I admire and uh, respect within the business community, and they've had similar answers. They're like, I, I don't have time to read a book, but I love reading, you know, long form, you know, uh, long form uh, pieces online or something like that. But uh, yeah, so I, can, I always like to say uh, to everyone, give me the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, all right. So uh, on that note, is there a, a business leader that you're following uh, right now or one that, uh, you know, one that comes to mind that really inspires you? Yes, I had the opportunity of um, attending a, a luncheon with uh, Ginny Ramadi from uh, IBM earlier this uh, fall, and uh, you know now that we are starting to work ourselves with a lot of the IBM products, and I've seen so much uh, advertisement on the the Watson healthcare system, um, and the way that uh, Jenny sees the future for IBM is the well, you know biggest future for IBM is in the healthcare arena and maybe the largest healthcare provider um, 20 years from now. So the way that she uh, is uh, communicating her vision and turning her vision into uh, real um, uh, real actions, and uh, I, I'm really amazed at uh, what I'm seeing there and seeing the transition at IBM go from a hardware to a, a pure software play. Hmm. Good answer. Um, and last question: When thinking about uh, you know your your med tech career, which uh, we we didn't obviously we didn't have time to get into kind of your, your your past experiences and kind of how you came up through the the ranks at companies like you know Guidant and uh, and DVI, but uh, you know if you had to look back and and, and give uh, a piece of advice to your thirty year old self, uh, what would that be? Um, just be patient first and foremost, and uh, enjoy the wins uh, along the way. That's another thing that Rod and I with Safion, uh, we recognized this um, early on, and we we made a um, uh, we we made a, a point to uh, really celebrate great, uh, the wins along the way, and not just focus on the uh, the end game, but uh, enjoy. We always uh, talked about enjoying the journey and. Uh, Safion was a, a fantastic journey. The people that were I were was involved with, um, you know, were real friends and and true colleagues that will uh, transcend a lifetime. And and we're we're taking that same philosophy with Analytics for Life is to uh, remember that uh, it's a journey, not a not an ending. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice. So so uh, kind of under underappreciated. So easy to uh, to gloss over the the wins to move on to the next thing, but. Uh, uh, definitely something I think all of us, uh, all of us should take to heart for sure. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, when I introed kind of that or tried to provide a little bit of background in regards to Safian, I, I, it's such a great success story. You know, it's really cool to see what you guys were able to do uh, in today's you know med tech environment that you know is often you know criticized for you know moving slow and it's it's hard to raise money. And you guys were able to to do it in 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 uh, in, uh, in in relatively short order. So that's 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 very cool success, uh, very cool story and. Uh, and I, like, like I said before, I've been fortunate to meet some of the, some of your team, uh, you know, members like like uh, like Rod and Monty, and great, really great people. So, um, just all around, uh, a really cool story. Um, but anyway, that's uh, I think that's it for now. I, I'd love to be able to, if we had more time to get into in, into a lot more detail. But uh, but I think hopefully that provides everyone a, a good overview of kind of what 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 this you know. Uh, or at least intro into the Safion story, and I wish you nothing but the best with with uh, with Analytics for Life. And for those listening, I'll certainly provide links to uh, to Analytics for Life, the website, um, and uh, um, and certainly certainly check that out uh, if you've got some time. So, um, Don, I'll have you hold on the on, on the line real quick. But um, okay. But thanks again for thanks again for doing this. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, for uh, no, everyone I've that's been, listening, oh, go ahead. I've been 
I've enjoyed remissing the uh, the, <laughs> the uh, Safion story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fun. It's definitely a fun one to talk about. So, uh, for everyone listening, thanks. Uh, thanks for your uh, your attention. Until the next episode of Medsider, everyone, uh, take care.